tangos. He, he tangos, but I don't think he clacks. It's very cold, guys. Don't touch me in the face. I hope my eyes won't turn blue. Aren't they already blue? Or am I making that up? Uh, you know, that's a mystery, Mikey. You're going to find out the next time we hang out with each other. What color are Zach's Gaze eyes? Gaze into each other's eyes. But now we're hanging Lovingly. out with all of you listening to the podcast we make together, Game of Owns. How are you, listeners? We'll now we're the listeners. We you guys are all as shocked <laughs> yeah. and awed as we are of that episode that just aired. Do you think yes. that they all said hello or everyone's quiet because they're so surprised at what happened? Because I know that I'm surprised. I think you guys are too. Yes. What? Super surprised. Us? What do you mean? We know everything that happened. Wait, book I'm readers that too? You would even ask that. Book readers too. Completely blown away. <laughs> Well, this is going to be an episode. There's a tweet, and I, I typically, you know, everybody's like, we have to stay away from social media after the thing because you you never want to be spoiled. But there's a particular tweet um, from Repoc9147 who says, we aren't in Kansas anymore, fellow no. book readers. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just from what little I've heard following the aftermath of the episode, is this the first time that the show has given sort of uh, a, a really important plot element to the viewers that simply doesn't yet even exist in the books? I don't know if I can say that this is the first time in the entire show that that's happened, but this is the first time that I would say around 90% of an episode came as a shock to me. Yeah, I I think the White Walkers and knowing that it's so easy to make them, right? I mean, you just touch <laughs> the fingernail to the face. And you just touch a baby. It. It's got to be a baby. Yeah, it has to be a baby. That's, that's the important ingredient. And all of this, but I think it's the first major um, plot reveal uh, that we've ever gotten that is specific to the show because now we know how or we know what happens to these babies that have been given up by Craster. We get mentions of it in the book that Craster sacrifices his sons, but we never actually go and are able to see what happens to them after the fact. I mean, and in true Thrones fashion, we they just created a whole entire, like, kingdom, basically, an ice altar, uh, an entire, like, sacrificial ground. Yeah, like and, an ice council. An, <laughs> an ice council. There were 13 members, by the way. I had the foresight upon a, a very brief rewatch at the end of the episode just to count. Um, but there's one ranger that grabs the baby, I guess. So we're back in Karth. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) 13 is a magical number. We know this. The first to rise from the table. Is it just me? Did anyone look at that man that was walking up to the baby? The ice man cometh. And he walked up to the baby. (laughs) And for a second, I just thought so much of his demeanor looked like Tywin Lannister. And I was scared for a second. I don't know what I was scared of exactly, but I I was watching him. It was crazy. And he kind of was. They're, They're in armor, though. That's the interesting thing that I thought was that, you know, coming through, they're wearing like, I don't know if it's black leather, but it is some kind of clothing. And, you know, we don't know anything about these guys. Um, It's actually quite scary that they're not really like addressed even in the books at this point, but they're wearing clothes and it's kind of like a a moot point because they're immortal. Like why would they wear clothes? But they're like generals and stuff. (laughs) Well, they're not totally immortal. Right. Dragon glass. I figured they've, they've probably killed enough of the Night's Watch to have, a suit of armor for whoever comes yeah. along who wants so to be they just like decided to accessorize everything's exactly. black but they have different sizes of things totally yeah, yeah. The, the the most fascinating thing for me is that knowing now that they start as babies um that it's kind of like a living death because obviously they're not still babies they've grown um and and so you know we hear or we know that there's so much death um, or that these reanimated corpses of the whites are happening. Um, but the White Walkers may grow, and, and certainly it would seem that they do grow 
from childhood into the adults that that, that Do you we think see. they have an accelerated growth or you think that they actually just grow as a normal person because my question would be those people that we saw there are those craster sons that that were standing in that line because they looked a little bit different than the other white walkers that we've seen if this is how a number of white walkers have been created and added to their arsenal how many of them are there because i know that craster's family couldn't have pumped out enough people to suit an entire arsenal you know what i mean are they special in some way though I think these guys are special, and that's really the question I had for for you, Micah, was, you know, is – so the ranger, I guess I'll call him, the guy who actually went and got uh, the baby, who's who's riding on the dead horse. And we, we saw him as sort of like a general character, uh, I guess, previously because he was leading the whole vanguard of, of dead dead beings um, a couple seasons ago at the finale. Was it of two? Season two? Um you know, what is he? Is he not a white walker? Is he just a reanimated corpse who's a white? Or is there, there seems to be tears now where, like, I would call him a white walker, but then there's these super ice guys that have the touch of, of ice, and they're something else entirely. Right. I, I think he's a familiar face, uh, a very scary familiar face, but he's somebody that the viewers of the show can recognize, right? We saw him, as you mentioned, at the end of season two. Did you notice, though, how they filmed this guy like he was a character? Like, I realize it was important for us to see that the baby traveled somewhere, but they yeah. they, they did they did give this, this I was going to say wildling, they did give this guy a bit of attention. And, you know, showing the uh, geometry of his leg and the muscle and sinew, I just felt like it was kind of personal for how impersonal they've been with the walkers up until this point. Mm-hmm. And the baby, there, there's almost like a glaze over his eyes at one point when he's riding on the horse and he's looking up uh, at this white walker. Yeah, I thought he had already been um, kind of transformed there, but they made his eyes even bluer. I think the glaze comes from the cold. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? he's probably pretty cold because, let's face it, what else is he wearing underneath the blanket that he's wrapped in? But He didn't seem super suit. scared when he was when he was riding on the horse. Yeah, he almost, that's a great point. Right? He, he was kind of peaceful. He was kind of looking up at this guy like – he yeah. got he he didn't have a danger sense from him and he starts to cry again um, when they put him down. Am I remembering that yeah. correctly? Yeah, no, you're he, right. He imprinted on the, on the guy. I was wondering right. if he had some sort of a warming effect or something because that baby had to have been cold, and I was thinking how cold he must have been because he's sort of made out of ice or something. Yeah, he didn't seem scared. Zach, though, I, I really like what you said because it's almost as if you're looking at uh, this all from a character's point of view. I mean, I got really excited when he was taking the kid because. I had no idea where he was going. And yes. th- this is the first time in a long time where I said, what direction is the show taking this? And we're getting to see what I thought was where these white walkers kind of live, for lack of a better term, you know, where they kind of cohabitate for the time being, you know, this area uh, north of the wall where readers have never been taking you know, we never read from the perspective of a, of a white walker mm-hmm. that'd be really fucking cool but <laughs> it hasn't happened yet i imagine Sorry it would to be like reading news. from hodor Burr, for 100 pages right whatever the so, sound the ice makes it's it's interesting that you say that micah um that we've never seen the perspective of these white walkers because i feel like that is a really good uh summary of this entire episode we see a lot of things from different perspectives than what we're, we were presented in the books and it ends up, I think, with the book readers feeling like maybe they've been gypped in some way, but the people who haven't read the books are thinking, oh my god, this is so freaking cool. I think that they've gotten to this perfect storm in the story where they're like, we can't show everything from perspectives anymore. We have to have kind of a god mode camera 
to let you know what's going on in these storylines. Otherwise, this isn't going to make any sense. It felt good, though. It really it did. did. It did. It felt yeah. great at the beginning with Danny walking up the steps. I felt like it. I was wondering in my own mind, I was thinking this this may be slow for a lot of viewers. They may be like, well, what is this? They're trying to show us more of Danny, but she's just, you know, spending 30, 45 seconds of the show, which is precious time walking upstairs. But in my mind, I was like, it feels like we're trying to pace it like a book. Like we're actually giving Danny the amount of time it would take to set up this scene properly. And I think that it's more easily done with that sort of camera work because before, you know, we've got Jamie and Tyrion in a cell together. That's very locked in, but they're they're opening it up much wider with things like a crafters and especially stuff with this White Walker guy. When you mentioned, I think we mentioned on a previous episode how Danny's um, storyline tends to be at the end of of the episodes. They tend to form sort of the oh yeah, and then there's Danny. Um, Unless there's a White yeah. Walker, then <laughs> so he ends the episode. <laughs> picking up uh, picking up where last episode though Breaker of Chains left off. It was nice that they they started with. With Danny, and I know in our recaps we do tend to start with the end, but just that's just can you blame us? You know, really, because mm. so much like I mean, if book readers were stunned, I can't add anything else to say other than well, that. Well, not only for that scene, uh, you know, with the White Walker or White Walkers plural, uh, but also for what took place just before that uh, with Bran. And Mira and Jojen and Hodor yeah. and everybody uh, at Craster's Keep, that was the, just the, the mutineers. Was it just me or were you guys all hoping that John would show up immediately when they were stabbing Hodor with like spears and stuff? Dude, that scene was oh, rough. Okay. The entire room, I watched it with like a group of, there were, there were four of us and all of us when Hodor was getting attacked were like, <laughs> he was nice about it too throughout the whole thing if i was your size i'd be king of the world that's not um, even a burn that's just that's just why that's would a you compliment. Even say that? so, yeah, yeah, no, like, thank, he's thank basically you? he was looking over hodor's body being like dude you should be destroying all of us at the same time right. so we can safely say at this point that this does not take place in any way shape or form right. in the book what specifically is it that doesn't occur is Bran... John does not go north of the wall to Craster's Keep again. Okay. Bran, Mira, Jojen, and Hodor um, do not get captured by these people. Are they... Okay, are Bran, Mira, Jojen, and Hodor uh, reunited with Ghost? Nor are they reunited with John. But Very is wine stuff. drink out of Jor Mormont's head? That's what I want to know. Dude. Oh my god. Adding insult. The injury. But really, for the show to have done this, and it's only episode four, I just have to put that in perspective. I don't think any of us were expecting this. And, you know, even though they said that uh, there would be a lot of exciting stuff happening sort of all throughout this season, as opposed to, you know, in past seasons, they kind of said, well, nine's the big episode. Still, you just don't expect this sort of thing to happen. I mean, where did where does the show, where can any show go from here? Wherever they want, apparently. Yeah. So this is going to be the big thing, and, and I've seen a lot on social media already that uh, book readers are going to be a little bit bothered by. And for me, you know, I really knew that something was up when they had the conversation in the uh, the library between Sam and John, and John knew that Sam had met Bran. In the books, Sam never tells John that he met Bran. But why he wouldn't promises he? Bran that he will not tell John. Oh. And that's that's a really big thing. That when all of a sudden John said he knew, okay, well, the plot is now changing, especially now that we have Locke uh, up at the wall. He plays into this yeah. as well, which is a little weird. Locke 
guy is, 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 is a serious threat, I think. And I mean, you don't need me to state that, except to say that watching this episode, I was, I grew such fear for Brandon Ricken again. Um, and I really actually liked how Locke just kind of assumes his way into the, the, the watch and he's not particularly questioned. He has a little bit of backstory, you know, to fall back on. Um, but he's volunteering to basically go up to Craster's where we know that Bran is. And he's been sent on a mission from Roose Bolton to capture and, and or kill Bran and Rick and Stark. Um, it's, it's to secure, I think it's to secure Roose Bolton's, uh, wardenship of the North to make sure that his leadership goes uncontended or uncontested. Uh, this is terrifying. You're getting, I mean, yeah, we're looking for a Stark reunion. We have been since season one for just one damn Stark to see their own damn sibling again. Yeah. How convenient for Locke that they would be captured right at Craster's. Very convenient. You would think it was almost happening in the book. <laughs> it's yeah, you would think, except it doesn't. Like there's the both of those things, right? There's no there's no Locke going up to to kill Bran and Rickon. There's no Bran getting captured at Craster's Keep, and, and that the both of those things have been manufactured for what seems to be a new tension, tension, a new storyline, just for this show. Well, it's interesting that this is playing out during the warfare times at the Wall. I think it's gonna. I don't know. It's going to pan out the way that maybe the broad scheme of the book will eventually brush out. And I think a lot of people are kind of afraid that in this particular case, we may be getting the opposite of what's happened before. And the show may actually spoil a an, just an element of the books in the future. Mm. Yeah. If they haven't already with the big uh, white reveal. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'd like to yeah. think that that mystery maybe wasn't as serious. You know, right. like maybe, okay, we understand that, okay, they took them. We probably assumed they were being turned into White Walkers. The fact that we know how and we know what kind of house and what kind of sort of formal arrangements they have where they live, does that really spoil things? I don't no. know. No, yeah. but it was fucking awesome to yes, see. Yes, it, it was fucking awesome was, to see. Yeah. Yes, I completely agree. I can understand what's going on with, with Bran in this particular uh, episode because we, we've talked about on the show before, Bran's storyline is very, very limited uh, heading into these next couple of books and they need to develop more in order to flesh him out as a character for viewers because he's somebody that we all know and who we enjoy watching on screen. They're not just going to cut him out uh, over the course of these next couple of seasons. Uh, so they're creating storylines. Well, how did this feel for you guys watching specifically? Because I know that we've talked about the flow and the pace of the show before and about which characters are shown and about how much screen time they're getting and the kind of show it feels like as a result of that. I feel like this fourth episode is so pivotal in a way because it really has opened up so much of these exterior stories. I think a lot of maybe casual viewers were sort of forced to see a face load of like the White Walker stuff has made a return strongly. And I think a lot of casuals are being reminded that tonight. We had a scene near the beginning of this episode with Peter Baelish and Sansa Stark um where i love that oh yeah it was gross he touched her but actually the question that i was going to ask you guys was he um he basically confesses to having at least masterminded joffrey's assassination and uh, we we needed to talk about how all of that theory can be laid to rest in a minute (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he also says when sansa is questioning him about this he says that his new friends wanted joffrey dead and they're very predictable and reliable so that's a new mystery who are peter's new friends well he was the treasurer 
in Westeros and King's Landing. <laughs> mm. And we've been getting a, a shit ton of references to the Iron Bank of Bravos. So uh-huh, yes. If I had to make a little uh, connection there, it, it's just, <laughs> it really is Baelish. It's the smoking gun that I wanted in episode three, and we talked about this, because Marjorie and um, Olena are, are having that conversation, but mm-hmm. no real words get exchanged about, who did this? You did this? And so with, with Peter... And with Elena in this episode, it's the smoking right. gun. They Definitely. are talking. Yeah. They they find it. We find out exactly how it happened, right. um, which is great because this is a mystery. I think we're sort of being spared, and this is new for us. Yes, yep. it's 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 really clever. And there may be like one or two areas where it's like a little contrived because Elena grabs Marjorie's necklace at the like almost like reassuring, like she did to Sansa. Reason. During the to, wedding, to, to fill in the last piece of it, you know, kind of, oh yeah, she grabbed the necklace, but still, it's it's really, I'm I'm relieved to have this mystery solved in a way. But as you say, they 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 raise another one in in, in Peter's friends. So well, it cuts Baelish? right to Elena, the Tyrells yeah. walking, yeah, right. uh, in the garden there as soon as Baelish finishes saying the word friends. So yeah, I I think we have our answer. Uh, so there. you think that his new friends are just the Tyrells? Well, in this situation, he specifically said something about giving a gift to your friends is a great way to make that new relationship start growing strong. Yeah, and it exactly connected. And I was like, oh, there's a dead giveaway right there. But I mean, it's, I think it's safe to assume <laughs> no pun that. Intended. Yeah, right. I think it's safe to assume that his relationship is also for a greater cause. That's just the thing, though. And, and what Sansa calls Baelish, um, or she says to him that you've basically put a price on your head so big. Um, you know, as she says, like he's pretty much abandoning his his hometown. He he wants to rule it all, as he tells her. Um, but he is abandoning the Seven Kingdoms, and this is why I think his friends have to be from across the pond. Um, because he, even though he's marrying Liza Aaron, which is creepy, we have to talk about that in a minute. Um, you know, he very clearly has. Um, he he's not safe, as she says to him. He's he's not really. Um, he doesn't belong. Everything that he's done in Westeros has been for Westeros' undoing, and I don't think he's going to be able to survive there very long. Well, he does have a safety net because he is not being suspected of this. Right. At the moment. Well, uh, he's really protected himself. Uh, you know, he, yeah, he smart plan. says, hey, I've been in the veil for the last couple of weeks. How could I have possibly had anything to do with this? And he is protected physically as well when you think about the veil and when you think about the Eerie. And just how high up it is. I mean, it's basically Perfect. impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to go back to what Zach said about this episode being so pivotal and getting to see sort of these external characters that maybe aren't, you know, the focal point all the time. For me, this really put Baelish as one of the major players in this game, and it reinforced it. I mean, we've talked about it on the show, Baelish and Varys, and you know, really how they are game changers. And I think when you have a character just flat out admit that he was the one responsible for doing this, you know, just throwing the entire uh, realm into chaos by killing Joffrey, you know, it, it it's not just that he's affected Joffrey. It's and, and Cersei. It's it's all these other characters that are now going to have their lives changed as a result of this. And he's he's the mastermind. You know, he's been able to orchestrate this with the Tyrells, at least it seems to be the case right now that that's who's responsible for it and 
I mean, I just I give him a standing ovation. You know, he didn't want to have to deal with Joffrey. <laughs> he he says as much. He said he's too unpredictable. He's a crazy little shit. And he said I can't control crazy little shit. So I don't know what they're gonna do. He's the man right now. In your in your opinion, then, Micah, what is Peter's long game? He's he's allying himself with the Tyrells, which are, in, I think, considered to be a less powerful family than the Lannisters, under the assumption that Marjorie will marry the king and start having babies and then the Tyrells will be more powerful and then they'll give Peter more stuff? Well, I think for right now, he wants to marry Lysa Aaron and control the Vale. Mm-hmm. And that is a much more prestigious position than being the Lord of Harrenhal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall is not what it once was. Sure. We, we know that. Um, I don't know necessarily what his end game is. I mean, he talks a lot in this episode about you know, just constantly shifting his position, and I, I don't know ultimately what it is that he wants aside from just being powerful. He says where does he? He says he, he wants, wants everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. But would he want to be king, though? Would he want to rule over Westeros? I don't see him as being that kind of person. I don't think he has the rule to have everything, though. That's right. true. But everything could just be everything going his way, and and you know having you know, being able to let's say sit up in the Eyrie and and just have control over all these other. I have like control of the Moon Door. If I could control the the Moon, that'd be pretty cool. God, I just want to see more next. <laughs> yeah, episode. More's more there. Moondor. I mean, you get to have him as a servant. He didn't have to do anything; just marry someone. I mean, it's not a bad setup for him yeah but uh, you know to quote from uh, popular media um some men just want to watch the world burn mm-hmm. and that's that's, that's Baelish in a nutshell yeah um, if his head his, his ego would fit in a nutshell he really he just wants uh, clearly he wants all of westeros to burn and him to be risen above um and i think he thinks that you know the, the westeros is is for the is for the dogs um that the iron bank people if i'm correct in my theory that he's talking about people east in addition to an alliance with the Tyrells, uh that they're just going to come and clean up all that they'll fund the enemies of all the people living there not to mention the dragons anybody who knows that there are dragons alive out east has to be thinking about whether or not they want to stay in their home to, homeland um too if you really believe the threat because dragons seem to be this huge huge deal that seemed to me like when he said i have new friends that my first thought was daenerys like some somehow he's he has secretly allied himself with the targaryen cause and he's gonna wipe out all the lannisters and just pave pave the way for for danny to come in with her dragons that would be a crazy setup like she rolls over and he's just like here's the keys i did all the work while you were gone Exactly. Do you have any more of those flags? I know you left one in Marine. <laughs> hey, how about a dragon? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'll take I'm, one of those. yeah, exactly. It's hard to get up here. Flag. It's like her college banner that she hangs over her bed. <laughs> she just that brought it epic, with her. Guys. That was so cool to see, personally. So cool. Yeah. It's Especially like, with the mentions of uh, marrying Targaryens being all the rage back then, it was just, it just yeah, that it, was awesome. It felt like a Cogman episode. There was just so much lore and booky stuff that lots of Sullyds and Unsullyds that are dedicated to the series, like we are, would just really eat up. Can I ask though that uh, that flag that was flying when the guy first looked up, right? But you couldn't yes. really tell what it was. Tell what yeah. It was. yeah, yeah, yeah. But how about uh, Grey Worm giving that speech? He he really rallied the uh, the slaves in that. He's hooked on he's hooked there. on phonics there. Work for him. Um, he's got the translation lessons. I will never find 
his translation lessons as endearing as Dava's learning to read. How awesome was it that the better part of the beginning of this episode was just not in English at all? <laughs> it was just completely old Valyrian subtitles. It was pretty subtitles. cool. It it's works. a cool language. It's it really nice. Cool. To, it's it sounds great to hear. Um, and and really like Grey Worm's mission to supply the slaves of Marine with the will and the weapons to Dagger slay delivery. their masters um, is great. But I will say. Uh, that there is quite a difference between overthrowing your masters and having about a hundred slaves come and ambush one guy in the middle of like a courtyard or whatever hallway, narrow hallway. That was a little indulgent. I also, I liked how it said kill the masters in English. And I thought that was, this is honest. This is how stupid I am. I thought that was tied (laughs) into Grey Worm's English lesson at the beginning of the show. So when they, (laughs) when they showed it, I was like looking for a little, like maybe a picture of a tiny little gray worm as his signature or something. I was like, oh, look at how good his English is. He wrote Kill the Masters. He's doing so great. Is that a serif font he wrote in? <laughs> his calligraphy is really Pops top notch. Top marks from Daenerys. I thought it was interesting thinking about how they infiltrated the city sort of compared to what Stannis had to do with Storm's End. And I was thinking about... Grey Worm infiltrated with sort of the cause of something nice and inspiring people to do something, whereas they had to go in with shadows and death. It was a it was a very quick siege uh, and very quick taking of and the clean, city, right? Very yeah. clean. I was expecting this to last almost the whole season, <laughs> right? Yeah, like yeah. it does in the books, <laughs> right? <laughs> it just goes on for How pages and chapters. And God, will she ever? <laughs> do anything different who knows how we got could they some good... speed up her plot line if there's so little of her this is awesome oh also can we talk about the staking of the noblemen yeah. yes, that the was crucifixion. brutal shit yeah oh, i mean yeah. Basically justice with i would answer injustice with justice yeah Makes sense. it was rough but it reminded exactly. me it reminded me, we talked about this i think last week oh. it reminded me of tywin talking about what makes a good king and how if Daenerys is answering injustice with justice and not listening to the advice of her council, then that mm. that might bode poorly for her right. potential reign. Yeah, and and far from sticking up for these slave owners, I have to ask, is it their fault? Are they all, did they all choose to be terrible masters to their slaves? Um, you know, these are the guys that I guess were spared from the initial you know, overthrowing three to one, kill everybody. Um, and, they, you know, they get staked and, and presumably not fed. They'll probably die. Um, but really, you know, if you're in um, if you're in a city where this is the primary, you know, just form of how the government runs with slaves, um, you know, and people are born masters, they're taught and raised to master slaves, you, on one hand, can punish them for their sins and transgressions, but it, it it may boil down in some other cultures to being just a differing viewpoint um, that Daenerys has. It is called Slaver's Bay. Yeah, and I don't think she's punishing them for being slavers either. She's very specifically punishing them for nailing slaves up on the mile markers. Mm-hmm. Well, were they the ones who did it? Did, they, did you really say, like, only get the guys who did the mile markers and we're going to nail them to the... Cause, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's punishing them for something that they might not specifically have done, and it's all because she's promoting her way of, of life, which is free. Look, democracy is great. Freedom is great. I'm not saying they should have remained slaves, but we've talked about how socioeconomic systems crumble um, when something as big as this is factored in. And it's just like, well, okay, so now she's staking people 
that are bad. We're just everybody's bad. I just don't like the overgeneralization of these. These are masters who've kept slaves. They're bad. They need to be staked up. To I, I think we need it, to give it, her a civics lesson. I think she it, needs to go through our public school systems and learn about how things work. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it ties back though to I can't remember who said this, but one of you did about how she doesn't heed her counsel very well. And that's a major problem because she has somebody who has seen a lot in Westeros in Sir Barristan, and he talks about mercy. And for everything that these people may have done, there is something to be said for mercy. And she doesn't seem to be so open to that. And I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's just the nature of of all of these situations. She just doesn't want to provide a second chance for them. She's treating them all like they're Krasnus. That's her failing, I think, is is she really sees in them this fire, this hatred for um, what she stands for. And and I think she's she's deflecting or really like um, she's just informing this opinion of these people based on their political system. It's an eye for an eye. That's exactly what she's doing. Right. She's saying, this is what you did to those poor children, so now I'm going to do it to you. And who knows? There may have been some people, like you're saying, who just were caught up in all of this. But again, they did put all of their you know, servants in chains. It's not as if these people were having some sort of luxurious lifestyle. Um, they were treated extremely poorly. And, and apparently all dumped in the same – all dumped in the same pit to sleep, which is a big oversight uh, tactically because Grey Worm was just able to go and recruit. <laughs> I know. When he dumped he dumped all the weapons down, I was like, well, if they'd all been sleeping in separate houses, this would have been a lot harder. Ron and Jamie, <laughs> shall we? Oh, man. Hey, guys, what we said on previous episodes, I think the consensus was that Bron was totally going to go his own way and not be loyal to Tyrion. I, I know. That, that, was, that was my bad. Mm-hmm. No, in that was knees. me. That I was me, so guys. Guys, I'm sorry. So yeah, happy. Had a Bron was in a much more casual situation than I think we all were expecting. And he's still on the side of the Lannisters. In fact, he's gone over to the next best Lannister, which is Jamie. And Jamie has started to do right by his brother. It's just all the feels, people. All the feels. Including the feels when Braun hit Jamie with his own hand. Uh-huh. I bet it felt <laughs> I bet there was felting feeling. I felt that one from yeah. all the way over here. Yeah. That was a good smack. I mean it was fun to see them train again. It was nice to see Jamie getting a little dexterity back. Um as I expected, there wasn't much lashing from what happened on last week's episode. And I think just in general, the the way that they're they're painting Jamie's situation with Tyrion is that all of this is good. I mean, I definitely didn't expect a Jamie and Tyrion visit happening in this episode, certainly not after the scene where it was brought up to him, but mm-hmm. it was, and it was nice to see. And he's sitting next to a post, that, and he even mentions the fact that he was tied to a post covered in his own shit, but it did remind me of that episode um, where, you know, Catelyn comes in and, and talks with him, and it's just, uh, it was a great scene between the two of them and also King's between Jamie and Bronn. He tells Tyrion that Tyrion doesn't have it so bad. He says, four walls and a pot to piss in. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> that Catelyn setting Jamie free is brought up later, of course, by, uh, who is it that, that asks why? Oh, it's Cersei, isn't it? Um, yep. But Jamie and Tyrion really, Jamie asking Tyrion if he did it. Um, and then speculating that Sansa did it. This is everything I wanted out of this out of this scene, out of these characters. I think the writing by Brian Cogman is just so rich with characterization, and you get 
he kind of just gives you what you want out of these characters interacting all these scenes between these characters that is meaningful and heartfelt um hell what Podrick alone had to do in this episode is just such a joy to watch and mm-hmm. um it's i really really appreciate how about it. braun though you know being somewhat of a uh psychiatrist there and psychoanalyzing <laughs> jamie about yeah. the whole thing very absolutely odd, very out of talking place. about the veil and talking about how he stood to fight yeah uh, for Tyrion and how jamie was his first choice uh-huh. so yeah that was, like, was like, like the fourth you, wall you, and i love that that was have perfect. you even gone there he, he was playing the role of like the the added the admonishing mother where he's like you never call Whereas, have you even gone to visit your brother? You sound like the pissed off mom from the Fifth Element. <laughs> exactly. Cool, I should have won the trip. I should have known. You never deserve to be there. Ruby Rod's a great DJ. He's the best they have ever had. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you're right, though. Jamie was sort of pointed in the right direction. That's why I was a little mm-hmm. surprised that he uh, took Braun's advice so quickly. But yeah, Braun, I think, did a really great job. He did. And Tyrion's line about being Kingslayer brothers. Yeah. Oh, oh that was just adorable. Great. We called that couple episodes ago i think one of us ended up saying that uh Tyrion would be his kingslayer too but uh the kingslayer brothers uh i wanted to create a meme of like the super mario brothers and just have like l and j on their hats you know kind of just uh maybe i'll work on that <laughs> um, fun fun you know musings between the two of them and look we we really like these characters and i expect seeing as how jamie is staying in king's landing that we will see more of this um in the future yeah um, hopefully with Tyrion out of chains. So this is, it's a good feeling, really. And 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 doesn't it just feel so much freer without the oppression of Joffrey, like this crazy, uncontrollable brat running thing? Well, we do have Cersei, and she's becoming just as bad in these scenes, though, so convinced that Tyrion is the one responsible for Joffrey's death. And the whole scene with Jaime was just really sad, to be honest with you. Oh. And when he straight up was like, Tyrion didn't do it, that was a surprise. She doesn't want to believe it, no matter what. She's convinced, even though there's no evidence that he did it. Well, I, I feel like she's even more aggressive towards Sansa in this situation, and I think that all this happening with her already disliking Tyrion that much is just, okay, well, either way, he must have had something to do with it because Sansa did break out, and that is strange. It is, but he even he takes what Cersei tasks him with and completely flips it on its head by going to Brienne who he knows will do nothing but keep Sansa safe. Question about that though is is Brienne not just on a completely pointless mission um, now for the next foreseeable several years? Uh, she has no idea where to begin with, with Sansa um, and Pod's going with her so that's great. I'm sure we get some nice road Pod and Brienne scenes but ultimately Sansa's going to her aunt isn't she safe with her aunt at the Eyrie? There's nobody there that would breach it and attack her that I know of right now. Well, well Jamie doesn't know that. Well, Jamie doesn't know, but isn't it a pointless quest for Brienne to start from nowhere in the Seven Kingdoms and just go out into the wild looking for Sansa? Well, she's walking away with the Valyrian sword. She's walking away from King's Landing under Jamie's command because obviously something cross could happen there. She's getting a great squire, and she's continuing the mission that she had done before. Like, I think this is what she would want. This is what's best for someone like her. It is the most badass set of circumstances. Um, and the most the badass set sword, of armor. Oh, my God. The name of her sword resonates with both her and Jamie. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful sequence. Her armor's awesome. Pod is awesome. She's going out on the road with him. But Sansa's safe. We almost don't need to worry about Sansa's safety at this point. We're like, I'm going to 
disagree with you because Lysa Aaron is absolutely balls out insane. And mm-hmm. I think that she has a reputation in the Seven Kingdoms for being so. Therefore, yes. if I were Brienne, and I wish that I were, um, I <laughs> would start looking for Sansa Stark at her her one surviving relative's house. Like, that seems like a really natural... That's where the police would go if you were missing, she right? Has, well, that is brilliant. But she does have more than one surviving relative at opposite ends of Westeros because the Tully's River Run... Um, are at Riverrun. There's not who, who's left at the at, uh, at Riverrun. Although we don't know where he is specifically. Yeah, um, I think he's he. The last time we saw Riverrun, it was a big old mess. Um, and so I think not that as big of a mess as Winterfell, though. <laughs> so that's true. Um, but I think the Eyrie is. If I were Brienne, uh, that's where I would look first. But just because she's at the Eyrie with Lysa doesn't mean she's safe. Um, no. So I actually I think that that sending Brienne after uh, after Sansa, even knowing that perhaps she might have gone to a relative's house, is a very wise move on Jamie's part. Yeah, I think that's a great point, because where's the hound looking to take Arya? He's looking to uh-huh. take her to her aunt. Yeah. Right. So which Stark bed. reunion will happen first, Jon Snow and Bran or uh, Arya and Sansa? <laughs> take, and take bets on this? Knowing how this series goes. <laughs> this is dangerous territory, people. We think we're going to get it, but we've been here before. We were at the windmill when Jon— Well, and, and, and one doesn't, isn't even part of the series, so who knows? They may be reunited <laughs> after all. But really, though, um, I, you know, just going back to Brienne, I guess I was a little hard on her. Look, your wisdom on just going to her next of kin's house or whatever— um, I think it's. Uh, I think that it seems less hopeless now, and for that, I thank you, and I, I welcome the uh, you know You're communication so of friends. The point that you brought up, you get Brienne and Pod on the road together. I mean, mm-hmm. there's got to be some comedy that that's going to come out Micah, of this. Oh, man. Right? That grin, that face. They're giving us so much to be happy about. Thank you, TV show people, for giving I us all these squire. things to smile about. And he gets the axe, and his little yeah. face lights up. Uh huh. Oh she, my you know, goodness! She gets the sword that she aptly names Oathkeeper. That's beautiful a great, name. great, beautiful, 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 beautiful name, Lady Catelyn. Mm. And for you, both Brienne for and me. both both Brienne and Jamie kept their oaths to Catelyn uh, in this in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we really have one other thing to talk about from this episode. Uh, so let's have at it. These these midnight meetings with Marjorie. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just saying, Tommen. There are some perks to being the king, buddy. It's good to be the king. This was brilliant. It's it's furthers uh, Marjorie's um, agenda, and on in addition, she's a smoking hot older girl who comes into the room of this young boy. Somehow sneaks past the guards. We still don't know how she did that. And basically, oh, we know. And basically offers <laughs> to keep a secret. It, it's just I think it's everything a young boy could possibly want. And to me. To, <laughs> Beyond that, though, <laughs> beyond that, honestly, guys, I don't think she's doing this maliciously. That's no, best, and that, that's the best part about it. This she's is doing. Actual she, she, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm still um, talking. I'm sorry. This, this is actual. Um, this is actual courtship. Pause. You know, the way you're supposed to do it politically. Pause. Isn't it? <laughs> and I'm not talking about Sir Pounds. No, Marjorie is doing this in a really intelligent way, which is good because I feel like the talking to she got from Elena was a little gross. She was, I was like, he wanted what I was selling and I sold it and I knew how to do it. And so and you, know, you <laughs> see Marjorie come, you come, you, you see Marjorie come in, you're like, oh no, no, don't do that to Tommen. But she comes in and she's, 
Marjorie knows knows her looks. She knows her sexuality very well. And she's worn these deep plunging dresses before, but she comes in and she's fully clothed and she, she has kind of this like midnight adventure story hour kind of a thing with Tommen and she kisses him on the head and she leaves and it's perfect because she understands immediately what kind of a boy Tommen is. Um, and so she's not just going there to, to flash him or do anything inappropriate. Pull in a, she doesn't, she's not going to go pull an Elena Terrell on him. Um, which is good. Walk tomorrow. No, but I think that's building, it's building to that though. I, I think, that, That's the plan. Well, yeah, of course, right. Yeah. It's going to slowly develop into more as time goes on. I mean, she's not there just to be his like babysitter and his best friend. Well, Sir Pounce um, is his best friend. I think we've cleared that up. That was awesome. Yeah. I'm God. so happy that so they happy included Sir that. Not blocked by a cat. No, Did you Sir guys Pounce see... made it nicer and better. He was he was a uh, so gallant. I think it reminded us that Tommen is still a kid at the end of the day. Oh, very exactly. Much. And, and, and Marjorie's kiss, it was very appropriate. It was very age appropriate. It was very important that she respect the, the boundaries that we kind of put on her, I think. Um, but that's just what goes back to what I'm saying. She, it's not malicious at all. She is just being political. She is being um, friendly. And this is everything that's expected of her. Right. And I think she can tell right away that Tom and he's a good egg. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. But some some of that I wanted to talk about that for a second because um, he's sleeping in this room with the boar head that's been impaled by Joffrey's arrow, right? And he looks up at it and he's uncomfortable and he's tossing and turning. He's in this room, this bedchamber that was you know Joffrey's at one point. He's not comfortable. He's a very different kid, and he's been tortured as we see by Joffrey. And this this might be the the thing that makes him a better kid. You know, Joffrey apparently told him that he'd put the cat into a stew, um, you know, and, and make sure that he ate him. Uh, this is something that growing up, you know, with an older brother who's um, or anybody who's like an opposing force that you want to be someone different, you become someone different and you become someone who's more sensitive and, you know, understands torture and understands some of these finer points of humanity here. Joffrey is this monster, but growing up under him, you just become a better person yeah. immediately. I mean, I guess next to Joffrey, anybody looks nice. That's for sure. Are you suggesting there's something bad without Tommen? No, I, I, th I said I think Tommen is a good egg. I think he's going to be a great king. I think that, you know, I, I think without the influence of somebody like Cersei and with the influence of somebody like Marjorie, he would he would do very well. I have a note that says, not since Denethor, steward of Gondor... Have we <laughs> have we had such a disgusting dinner scene as Sir Alistair Thorne at the at Castle Black? It was gross. He was just like he was eating this like chicken with his mouth wide snorting open. Yes. Yeah, he was snorting you know what, the chicken. Guys, we, should, we should talk about that. Um, the if Voldemort's building an army, I want to fight kind of scene um, in the uh, in the mess hall of uh, of. Castle Black with Jon Snow and the Volunteers. That was a, a heartwarming scene. It it was it had very strong. Aside from the Denethor thing, I think I, it reminded me very much the music and the standing up. I was like, ah, oh, the Fellowship is returning the ring to Mordor. That's great. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was a great scene. I'm I'm wondering because it was Janice Slint who kind of put that all into motion. You know, got the idea going in Eliza Thorne's head. Right. Is he going to be more of a problem for John moving forward? It's very clear that you know, th they brought up the fact, which is which is very important, that they're going to have to elect a new Lord Commander. Mm -hmm. And for the time being, Eliza Thorne is the acting commander, but 
Slint sees this as an opportunity for John to go north of the Wall, get killed by the mutineers, and then not have to be a, a thorn in Thorn's side. Uh, <laughs> hey, this was a a malicious plot. You're right, and coming from Slint to to just go get John out of the way, it's it's very well informed. It seems very plausible that John will die. And that really reminds me, I wanted to talk about the timeline of events here really quickly because Jon Snow is going back north of the Wall. Whether or not this is something that happens in the books, um, which he said it's not, um, just going back and forth between Craster's Keep and, and somewhere else, I'm kind of curious because where are the wildlings almost? Like the wildlings have already made it to the Wall and crossed the other side. Those are the ones that um, separated from Mance Raider. But where is Mance Raider in all this? You've got... The White Walker coming from Craster's and going back to his city of the undead or wherever he's at with the altar and the ice altar, meeting with his people. So he's gone way up north. And you've got John um, going back and forth between the wall. You've got Sam going back and forth between Molestown. And all this time we've expected sort of Mance Raider to see, lay siege to the wall, but it doesn't, like, happen. And so we know these people are traveling these great distances, but kind of where is Mance Raider? I'll leave it at this. I think that the way this is being written this season, it looks like John is going to get caught in the middle of that on his way back to the wall should he survive whatever happens at Craster's Keep. Well, is this the point, friends, that I'm making a podcast with? Do we go to Owens now and start talking about those kinds of things? Who wants to read them? Kate, I know you uh, dabble. No, I think we need to give our own first. Very well. Our own. Uh, my own for this episode goes to... Both Tyrion and Jamie. It's when they were Jamie was visiting Tyrion, and they were talking about who killed Joffrey. And Tyrion asks Jamie, "Are you really asking if I killed your son?" And Jamie responds, "Are you really asking if I'd kill my brother?" Terrific and I just exchange. It was a great yeah. moment between the two of them. My own goes to Brienne of Tarth. <laughs> Who is amazing and who will always be an oath keeper. Aww. Aww. Very touching scenes. We're we're owning very um We're all softies. Yeah. yeah. Uh well I'll I'll give my own um this is a little bit tongue in cheek, I know nobody cares, but uh own goes to the Targaryen flag uh for somehow existing <laughs> even in spite of uh the years and distance between where Danny is now and where she was, where she came from. Um somehow that was found or constructed using the exact specifications the insignia that we've come to know as being the targaryens maybe barristan brought it with him doesn't matter it uh, was flying high over marine looks really good there and uh danny has conquered an entire city overnight and even though that may happen differently in the books for the show it is an own of the episode and i i have to say that um i want to add as a new a new podcast host here, um, maybe I'm stepping out of bounds, but I'm going to add a meow for Sir Pounce. Oh, wow. <laughs> Your own wasn't out of bounds. Calling it a meow is absolutely out of bounds. That's I'm going to start a campaign to get you thrown off. That was terrible. Yeah, no, it was great. Can I actually? I regret nothing. Sir Pounce, he was trending in New York earlier. I don't know if he was trending, <laughs> trending anywhere else. in New York. No, he was on Twitter. He was oh, big. He's like, blowing up. All yeah, the cat lovers on New York. Oh God. Hello. Uh, Hello. Hey. Hi. Hey guys. What happened? Well, welcome back, Sorry. buddy. Uh, I slipped a rode a boat in the water. Are you guys doing own yet? Owns yet? Yeah. <laughs> we up. just finished our own. All right. Here we go. My own. <laughs> I've been gone 
for minutes. I hope everybody's well. My dry off. You get, you, can you towel flooded. off? There was. It's a. It's flooding here. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna go to my own. I think your own is this flood that's in your house. I will give my own to the mockingbird for his entire setup about men willing to give up and go through all this strife and and danger to get what they want. How they're okay with just sitting back and and not facing the danger. Littlefinger, on the other hand. He welcomes the danger because he can't imagine not risking everything to get what he wants. So I just thought that was a, a very strong statement by Mr. Little. Right. I agree. Right. Yeah. He owned the entire episode. Yeah, yeah, he did. Almost. He owned the whole Until kingdom. Until the end. He's pretty kind of, yeah, he's kind of owning Westeros at this point. He's doing a pretty good job of it. Just like I will hopefully be doing a pretty good job of mopping, vacuuming, all the different ways that you get rid of water off of concrete flooring very soon. But that does not mean that the rest of you will be susceptible to terrible, terrible things such as this. There is an opportunity for you to join us in many ways on the show. Perhaps our good friend Eric now will illustrate one of those ways. I would be happy to. And now, Eric Skull reads the tweets. In however long it takes Zach to mop up his floor or less. <laughs> Go! <laughs> First tweet comes from Maggie Max, who says, The Queen of Thorns Ooh. for being a freak in the sheets. Ugh. That's what she said about herself. Uh, Erica agrees. <laughs> My own goes to Lady Olenna for telling her granddaughter about her sex life. Mary Larson <laughs> observes, Winter is coming a lot quicker on HBO than in the books. Mm. Hashtag Oathkeeper. Mm. Cool. Point. Kristen Keys, my own of the week is when Bron slaps Jamie with his own hand. Pulls it right Andrew off. Dillon says Jamie for giving Brienne three gifts. Oathkeeper, armor, and pod. Good gifts, I think. Pod is a gift. Pod yeah. is absolutely a gift. Susan Stacy having some trouble. Maybe you should meet us again on Friday. She says, I'm so stunned there is no way I can narrow down to specific owns yet. Oh, except Sir Pounds. He rules. That's fair. Meow. Jasmine Alvarado says, I give my own to the ladies of Terrell. They sure know how to use their feminine wiles. Shane Motes says, Jamie's fake hand owned his face. It did. Uh, Lucy Rose says, all the Sullied were owned by Brian Cogman. Stinkerbell says, White Walker Bob Marley gets my own. Are, uh, parentheses, are those dreadlocks? Yeah, man. Karen Cita says, Bron owned Jamie with his own hand. Kendra Griffey says, I think my brain is bleeding, but that could be the quiet. Wow. Kevin Bloomfield, own goes to the whitest walker. Oh, that's a good name for him. The whitest walker. Uh, and the reason is for fucking with every book reader. How white is he? <laughs> I thought that was going somewhere completely different. <laughs> Westerosian Atheist, what a funny name, says book readers were the only ones to get owned tonight. Also Sir Pounce. Andy says the other Darth Maul owned the ending. Perfect. There you go. Mallory says Daenerys owned the harpy with her massive dragon banner. That's true. There you go. Daniel Melchiades says the White Walker King owned that episode for totally stealing Bran's thunder with one second of screen time. Oh, slam. Is that what he is? He's the king? He has, like, his own, like, head crown he grew? The head crown that it's seemingly sprouted, sprouted from yeah. his skull is pretty impressive. You have to uh, agree there. Kurt Pop says my own goes to the English language for being so expansive in that there is no <laughs> Valyrian translation for Kill the Masters. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> love Grey Worm. Um, Amy Christina, He's more learning. love for the cat. More love for the cat here. Uh, own goes to Sir Pounce, always and forever. He should be in the Kingsguard. Um, I agree. Yes. William Baboni asks, can we get an official comment from George R. R. Martin, please, because that was some epic shit. 
Hashtag Oathkeeper. I think there is an article. Well, we'll have to see. Certainly in, this, certainly in this coming week, uh, we'll expect to hear from George the way we did last week after the controversy. Felipe Valley, my own goes to that white Darth Maul at the end. And we'll leave off with... Here it comes, people. We'll finish here with William Baboni, who says, and this is a quote, That was me knocking your ass to the dirt with your own hand. And that was Eric Sko reads your tweets in... However long it took Zach to mop up his floor. <laughs> you recycled that one. Nicely done, Micah. Can I just add in a, uh honorary own? Please. Really, really quickly Is it here. a me-own? Is it a <laughs> meow? Meow. It is a... <laughs> Brown. Brown. Uh, brown. That doesn't really <laughs> work well. I don't like it. Um, but it, it's just, it was awesome. Um, when he says to Pod, what are you waiting for? A kiss? <laughs> when he's getting ready to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and Pod was, and he looks so sad. You see the laughter generated here, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to our show. This is where we talk to each other and celebrate the fact that we just got to watch a television show. There will now be a small selection of days between now and the next time that we take up your owns, ones that have already been sent and ones that will undoubtedly be sent after this, to rally around our upcoming Friday episode. That includes owns that we receive via our Facebook. And, of course, we just read from Twitter where – if you want to participate in the Twitter conversation, you can at reply us at Game of Owns on Twitter. But on Facebook, we ask that you scrawl on our wall. This is 24 hours a day, people, seven days a week. You can scrawl upon our wall over at Facebook.com slash Game of Owns. We'll be reading those Facebook posts uh, as well as more tweets on our Friday episode this week. So much was settled in this episode, guys. We're not going to have any more detective mysteries when it comes to how Joffrey was killed. I think that... That's something that we weren't quite expecting. But beyond that, we've got all of these crazy things that I'm sure both sullied and unsullied will be debating for the next handful of days. It'll be a really exciting week to see what sort of feedback comes out, what sort of articles get written off of all the good stuff uh, that Brian Cogman provided uh, with to us and the show provided to us uh, tonight. It is true. And uh, for those of you who like what we've had to say, over the last uh, 60 minutes or so, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review along with five stars. It is April, so nothing less than that is acceptable. There's a couple more days left in April, so uh, we do need to uh, include that. It's actually contractual. We need to say this in every episode, otherwise weird shit happens. Like, you know, We do like to read reviews uh, on the show, so uh, head on over there, leave them, and uh, we'll include some on Friday show. I can't wait until Friday, guys. Or you know what happens? <laughs> Captain Frosty comes up, and he puts his finger on your face. I'm afraid that the violinist is beckoning our finale here, people. What shall we do? For Zach, Eric, and Kate, I'm Micah. We'll see you on Friday. Ooh, Micah. That's good. You know what? I should accompany them on saxophone. <laughs>
Please don't make me edit a saxophone on <laughs> the same scale. Because <laughs> I'll do it, and I don't want to. <laughs> Wah, <laughs> <laughs>